Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. This is our Sunday edition of Just Ask the Press. I am your host, Brian Karam, and as usual, joining me for this weekend coterie is uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin, and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. This week, we're going to unpack the the latest in Donald Trump's charges coming out of Georgia, uh, the Truth Social uh, postings of Trump, his no-show at the debates, and his press conference that was on again, off again. Also, his request to seek, an, and, he got, and it wasn't a typo, an April 2026 trial for his January 6th miasma we're also going to take a look in the world of science the closing down of the arecibo radio telescope after it collapsed two years ago and no more science being done there uh biden has recently gone uh on a trip well actually he went on a trip to <laughs> to camp david to talk with uh leaders from japan and south korea and there was a historic uh signing that came out of that and then we're also going to take a look at some First Amendment cases in Kansas and Wisconsin. So stick around. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll unpack all of that for you on Just Ask the Question. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And with me, as always, uh, federal former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John T. Bennett, as we sit here and take a look at the latest in news. And Michael, we'll start out with you <laughs> again. This has been a wonderful uh, week for Donald Trump, a 96-page indictment coming out of Georgia. I'll let, I'll let you hit the highlights. I'm just going to uh, mention the one thing that drew me in right away out of the the patchwork of stuff that they put together was on page 18. Uh, it's the fifth section of it. Solicitation of high-ranking United States Department of Justice officials. And I quote, in one instance, Donald Trump stated to the acting United States Attorney General, quote, just say that the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman, end quote. And what did they leave to him? Well, as uh, the indictment shows, they actually tried to break in uh, the fraud that they were saying others were committed committing. They were trying to commit by breaking in and taking a look at records. But I'll let you unpack all of that. So, Michael, it's all yours. Well, I'll unpack it in one second. But I just want the listening audience to read that paragraph and then read the readout 
of Trump's call with Zelensky that led to his first indictment. And what you'll notice when you read those two things side by side is that when Trump spoke to Zelensky, he said, just say you're investigating Biden and we'll do the rest. And now he's saying to the Justice Department, just say you're investigating fraud and we'll do the rest. In in both cases, there was no investigation of Biden, nor was there any fraud. But that is evidence of his effort to establish a fraudulent predicate for what he was going to do next, which was to try and pressure Ukraine and thereby damage the candidacy of Biden and thereby pressure the Justice Department to thereby damage the election of Biden. So two acts, very similar, similar state of mind. Fraud uh, lets us argue uh, whatever it is that we want. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out because, Brian, it's a good paragraph to, to make note of. So this indictment in Georgia, this RICO indictment, this Racketeer-Influenced Corrupt Organization Act indictment uh, follows the federal prosecutors using RICO in a whole range of other types of cases. It started in the 19, in 1970, it was passed uh, to go after organized crime families and Giuliani as U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York made good use of it there. But the language of that statute was drafted so broadly, purposefully broadly, to encompass other types of criminal organizations. And you'll see, when you look at the history of these prosecutions federally, Giuliani was the most aggressive in its use, going after financiers, Ivan Bosky and um, Michael Milken in, in the um, Wall Street prosecution. So no one understood this to be just organized crime specific. In 1980, Georgia passed its own equivalent of this law, and that law said, if you have an organization, an enterprise, they call it, that is working in a coordinated way toward a, a, you know, toward a, a common objective, and you do so with a series of related criminal acts, you shall be guilty. And Fannie Willis used it in the successfully in the cheating scandal uh, in in Georgia, where uh, school officials were using um, all sorts of deceit to bolster the the scores of students, and that she charged them as a RICO organization and convicted them. She has a trial ongoing now with um, hip hop artists who she says are part of an organized crime group using their music and the lyrics of their music as signals to get uh, their criminal objectives achieved. So that's just the background of the of RICO and how it's been used and why its use in this case is consistent with its history. So those who have said, well, this is not a RICO case, RICO is for the mob, right. uh, not so. It was for the not mob in 1970, federally, and has since been used in a whole host of ways against a whole host of organizations, of which Fannie Willis's indictment is 
right in the uh, smack dead middle of its uh, historic use. So what does it say? What it says is that the indictment uh, describes eight ways in which this enterprise, this group of people acting to achieve its common criminal goals, act. And I'll read you the eight so we understand what it is that she's charged. She said, this, or, this enterprise made up of Donald Trump and his um, 18 other co-defendants endeavored to achieve the goal of overturning uh, or preventing the certification of the 2020 election by one, making false statements to legislators, two, making false statements to state officials, three, enacting a false electors scheme, people who would represent themselves as being the actual electors when in fact they were uh, not, harassment and intimidation of election workers like Ruby Freeman and her daughter Shea Moss, soliciting the Department of Justice to make false statements. That's what you just said, Brian, right. that was what you pointed out. Soliciting the Vice President, Pence, to unlawfully reject the Electoral College votes. That's this grand uh, scheme that Eastman and Cheeseboro uh, created, the so-called um, Green Bay Sweep, where they would um, get Pence to unlawfully reject the Electoral College votes when everyone knew he had no authority to do that. Seventh, obstruct uh, the investigation um, through a conspiracy and cover-up. And then finally, the unlawful breach of the election equipment in Coffee County, Georgia. And what that was is that they sent people down to Coffee County, which is a county south of uh, Fulton County, and they actually breached, illegally breached, the electric computer system in order to download data so they could search for fraud. No authority to do that whatsoever. So those eight theories of criminal enterprise activity is what's at the heart of this indictment. And when you take a look at the one, to me, all of them are disturbing, but, and, and John, I'll, you know, let's let's talk about the fact that they wanted to breach the security of the, the voting machines. That's almost exactly what they accused uh, the Democrats of doing. It, it, it is exactly what they accused the Democrats of doing, is it not? Well, that's not inconsistent with how Trump operates. I mean, he did this, we saw it when we were at the White House uh, covering well, yeah. it. <laughs> you know, he would accuse the Democrats in Congress or, or you know, other Democrats or um, the re the few Republicans who ever were brave enough to, to criticize or, or buck him um, you know, he would he would accuse them of doing exactly what he was doing. Um, and, and it's just, you know, it's it's a form of gaslighting. I've referred to Trump as the gaslighter in chief. And, <laughs> you know, I think this is just another example. This is how he operates. Um, I spent some I know we all spent some time with uh, this latest indictment document. And, you know, it's just it's just it shouldn't be shocking, but it is. Um, that, you know, the, 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 you know, Fanny, Fanny Willis uses terms, uh, criminal enterprise, the enterprise racketeering activity. This is a former president of the United States. 
He's also the front runner for one of the two uh, major parties nominations, and he's being described by Fonnie Willis as as a, a mob boss, uh, as, as the head of a, a, a RICO opera, a racketeering operation, and it's just, it's just, it's almost mind boggling that so many people are sticking by this guy. Yeah, I saw an interview on. Yeah, he's still remember. leading the pack by forty <laughs> points. <laughs> he actually. And I believe it was the Quinnipiac uh, University poll this week. I, I think it was the Q poll. Um, he closed the gap on Biden nationally. Now, I understand the Electoral College. It, it's not a national election. But, you know, he was down four. He was down five points um, two weeks ago. And we knew this was coming. This latest indictment in Georgia was coming. And everyone knew, you know, it's been all over the news. It's been social media. So people knew this was coming. And Trump gained three points nationally. It's just really stunning, and that it says something about the country right now. I saw an interview. I don't remember if it was MSNBC or, or CNN. Um, they, you know, they were out and about, maybe in Iowa, uh, and talking to Republican voters who don't think they don't think Trump did anything wrong, or they don't know why he's been indicted, other than the Democrats don't like him. And even no, no the Democrats do not like him, but. But that doesn't mean he didn't do the things that he's been accused of by, you know, career prosecutors. And but to um, your point, they don't even understand how the process works, nor why he was indicted. They right. just listen to Donald Trump saying uh, the Democrats don't like me and they're coming after me. And that's right. the, the the only ones coming after him are other Republicans. And to build on to build on, they don't know. They don't understand um, I think it's important to point out early on here, Trump is not denying he did these things. He's right. almost he's almost arguing two things. One, that the laws are illegal. Yes. Two, well, three things. Two, the real criminals are Mike Pence, Governor Ducey, Governor Kemp, folks like that who defied him and wouldn't go along with some of the things he was pushing them to do. And it's we're back to that Richard Nixon defense. If the president does it, it's not illegal. That's essentially what Trump's arguing. And a fourth thing, if Donald Trump does it, it's not illegal. He's also arguing that. And, you know, they're going to they're going to try to use his presidential immunity. And I just I, I don't I don't see how these cases are are def well, almost defendable because, he you know, he's on true social. He's doing interviews. He's at rallies. He's. He's he's not saying he didn't do these things. No. And uh, to your point, before we get to some of that, the, the, you know, get deep into the woods on that, um, not only is he not denying it, but the, uh, the the people who are following him don't understand why he's being indicted for the things that he's done. For example, there yeah. are Christians who are defending the fact. And one of the most and Michael, I, I'll there's this I think it's part 25 through 60 or somewhere in there in that indictment there was a, a a reverend from chicago who drove down to ruby freeman's house in georgia and sat outside her home knocked on her door and said hey i got to talk to you hey i, I want to you know represent you pro bono and hey let's get some facts straight after she denied that she and her daughter had been engaged in any illegal activity and stuffing ballots as Donald Trump had accused her of doing, she called the police three times be because she was scared to death. 
those people were interviewed. This was a guy who drove down a white reverend, drove down to a black neighborhood in Georgia to try and intimidate this woman and her daughter. He's indicted. And yet the Christians will defend that. And so I, I'm looking at the disparity between Donald Trump's claims. And I go back to us in the media and 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 Democrats and the law for not making it crystal clear as to why he was indicted. But Michael, just to clear up that point, it's not the Democrats who who indicted Donald Trump. I mean, the basic idea of a grand jury and what is it now? Four locations, four different grand juries have over has have looked over evidence, presented it to a prosecutor. The prosecutor, I mean, the prosecutor presented it to the grand jury based on what was presented to them. They decided there was enough information that yes, indeed, Donald Trump should be indicted. He wasn't dragged off the streets. He wasn't accused by the by Biden, who's had nothing to do with it, right? If you could just clear up for those who don't understand how the process works. Sure. So the way you indict someone is through the grand jury. The grand jury is a larger jury than the petite jury, the pettit jury, some people call it. The petite jury is the jury of 12 people who in the trial decide questions of guilt and innocence. So 12 citizens, usually born from the uh, voter role, sometimes motor vehicle registration roles, they just are a cross-section of people. Every one of us has received a jury notice and they go into a, uh, the courtroom and they're whittled down to 12 and they decide guilt or innocence. The grand jury, very similar process. The way people are chosen is just the same way that smaller juries are chosen. But this is a group of 23 people who the evidence is presented to and they have to decide whether there's probable cause to indict. So they don't decide whether anyone is guilty or innocent. They just say, is there probable cause or reason to believe that the person who we are hearing evidence with respect to more likely than not committed this crime? And they, if they vote yes, a true bill, they call it, then the case is referred uh, to the court and ultimately a trial will be held and the 12 pettit juries, uh, jurors will decide guilt or innocence. So these 23 people <clears throat> sit in um, judgment of whether the evidence is sufficient whether probable cause to believe that there is a crime that has been committed by the persons who are uh, the subject of the grand jury investigation. If they vote yes, the majority, 12 of the 23 vote yes, then a true bill is returned and it's sent over to uh, the court uh, for prosecution. So in the Georgia case, for example, what's interesting about that is that in Georgia, they have two types of grand juries. One is a, a special grand jury and one is a regular grand jury. The special grand jury, also made up of 23 people, hears evidence they're considered an investigatory grand jury. They hear evidence, they did so I think over eight months in this Fulton County case and they heard from 75 witnesses and they determined that a indicting jury had reason to hear the evidence. So the investigative jury hears it. They said, yeah, there's a good reason that this case should go to an indicting jury. So another 23 people were impaneled as an indicting jury. 
They then got the recommendation from the investigative grand jury, and they decided there was probable cause to believe that uh, a person should be indicted. So here in this case, you had 46 Georgians hearing evidence and determining that there was probable cause to believe that the persons presented by the prosecutors in this case committed a crime. That's so, you know, you have 46 people who have said, yes, we believe there's probable cause to believe that a crime has been uh, committed. And now there's going to be a trial um, on, based on the recommendations of those 46 people. And so it's been, and it's all done to protect the rights of the accused. Yes. Sure. I mean no, the rate. That's right. The, the the reason we have grand juries is that we don't, we don't have these star chambers where prosecutors in secret make you know unilateral determinations of guilt or innocence because that is a system by which political enemies could be weaponized. The transparency of the grand jury process and the intervention of the citizens between the prosecutor and the accused is what the system was designed to ensure. And so, yes, people say, well, prosecutors have overwhelming power in the grand jury, you know, the proverbial, they could indict a ham sandwich, but I've never bought that. I believe that prosecutors, by and large, federal prosecutors especially, act in uh, generally good faith and that these uh, independent grand jurors make determinations based on the evidence presented to them, just as I believe regular, regular juries by and large, there are always exceptions. By and large, though, make determinations based on the evidence devoid of their personal political beliefs. <clears throat> How it is that people in MAGA world that you hear interviewed on uh, the internet when asked, what do you think of this or that and have these crazy ideas? Um, I, I don't know how to account for them. There's they, they, like, it's almost a, underlying mental illness uh, or, you know, ostrich-like behavior uh, where they just refuse to see um, the facts uh, that are plain before their their eyes. Well, I, I, I'm always, you know, the MAGA groups are, are, are suddenly pro-law uh, enforcement. And I got to tell you, uh, <laughs> the rednecks were not growing up, the ones that are now MAGA, and, and John, you probably can speak to that like me growing up in the South. Uh, it, you okay. know, there was a natural animosity between large gatherings of rednecks and police. But suddenly, <laughs> suddenly they love them. But but let's go to what came out of. Uh, let's take this a step further. Uh, and then, John, you had sent this out. This is a from the Truth Social. Donald Trump <clears throat> in response says on a Truth Social site. Just think of it, they, crooked Joe Biden and his thugs, indict me and their whole campaign is that Trump is indicted. Does that sound fair to anyone? Am I allowed to do such a horrible and unconstitutional thing? And and when I win the presidency, we are entering really dangerous territory. And then he said, why should crooked Joe Biden be able to force me into the time and expense of trials, especially before the election, on bogus claims pushed by the chief political supporter of the Department of Injustice? What a horrible precedent this sets for future presidential cam uh, campaigns. It's all about election interference and must be stopped. Kind of uh, giving us an idea of where he's going to go if he's reelected, you say? That's how I read the 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 first one that that you shared there. I mean, he's he's 
he's floating this idea without saying explicitly or overtly that he would do the thing that he's alluding to. I mean, he used to do this in pool sprays that we were in. Yes, the, thank you. You know, <laughs> these media availabilities. I I mean, and it's the way he would word things. I I might possibly look at that and then the next day, you know, they're trying to do something that usually they 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 concluded they couldn't do, but he wanted to try to do something. So, but this is he would have the power as as the president. Um to to do exactly what he's saying there, investigate Biden and try to to throw the whole Biden family in federal prison. You know he can order the the attorney general to start those investigations, and he's he's toying. You can tell that Donald Trump is he's mulling this over, and and how he would do it, and and what the charges are, and and I and he's right. We are entering dangerous times, um, and if he's reelected. I have no doubts uh, that he would order these investigations, that that he would make good on on what he's he's teasing there. And, but it, it's that code that that he has always spoken in, and it he's desensitized everyone. So you know, whereas you know four years ago that would have been a big deal, and now everyone just shrugs. Yeah, that's. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I want to go. I want to take jump off on that into. Uh, his no-show at the debates, his uh, press conference on or off, and he's going to sit down with Tucker Carlson, who has said he absolutely hates him. But anyway, we'll take a look at that when we come back, so stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we are back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. John Bennett is shaking his head already. <laughs> as we... Anymore, that's just my default settings. Yeah, as we take a look, well, if we start talking about rock and roll, I know where you'll go. <laughs> but, but that's, Guns and roses. That's yeah, right. that's right. So as we uh, uh, come into the second segment, we're taking a look at uh, Donald Trump still. God, it, it's still he's, he sucks up all the freaking oxygen in the room. Um, oh. He's not going to show up at the debates. We kind of figured that Chris Christie would kind of lay him low. Um, and he said, uh, and Michael, let's, uh, let's start there though, with the, he was going to have a press conference. What was it this Monday or Tuesday? And he said Monday. he would present evidence that would force them to drop the charges against him. Uh, that's not how it works. Does it? Well, he can hold a press conference to say that, uh, he is going to present evidence of, the true fraud in this case and oj simpson is gonna have a press conference <laughs> announcing the real the real killers um of ronald goldman and and his ex-wife so you know sure you can hold any press conference you want and say anything you want uh, <laughs> seeing is believing 
And uh, I don't think that there was any evidence that he could present. And I think his lawyers said to him, in no uncertain terms, don't do this. Um, and hopefully, if you do this, look for a new lawyer. And right. he decided not to do it. And so, you know, yes, he is capable of listening sometimes. And good for him, because that would have been perilous for him legally, because he would have said additional things that I'm sure would have been um, kindling yeah. the fire that the prosecutors want to 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 bring. Do so, you think, I'm he, sorry. But, but, but remember, Brian, he he can't, because of his strained relationship with the truth, he can't testify in any of these trials. He is not going to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in any of these trials. And so as a consequence, he's got to essentially testify in in a public relations um, mechanism. Right. So that's 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 what he and his lawyers, who are you know regulars on the uh, talk news circuit, are trying to do. They're trying to present Donald Trump's defense because he can't present it in a court a court of law. And well, I don't know. I, I mean, he could, but he won't. He 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 won't. Correct. Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't know why the news media gives so much time to Trump's lawyers to, Thank you. to, to make this argument. It's bogus. Um, uh, every lawyer knows it's, that there isn't a First Amendment defense here of any merit. There isn't a reliance on the defense of counsel argument of any merit. There isn't a weaponization of justice in a selective prosecution sense that has any merit. Yet, um, Attorney Lauro, the lead attorney for Trump, has been on all of the Sunday circuits, all of you know the cable news circuits, saying this propaganda uh, uh, that is you know Trump's defense in the public domain, one that he won't make in a court of law because it's untenable. So, you know, this is a show that's supposed to say how is the press doing? I think in this respect, it's not doing a very good job. But Trump as a uh, public relations guy is, is, you know, doing what is available to him. And that's what he, you know, he should be doing if he can, if he can get away with it, just like the debates, which we'll turn to in a second. And John will tell me yeah. why I'm wrong. But I think he's smart not to show up at the debates. He's, he's the target of everybody's um, attacks when he shows up and he's going to try to talk about this election. It's going to make him seem, silly in the cross-examination that he should expect from uh, Chris Christie. And if Asa Hutchinson has made it onto the debate stage, Mike Pence is there. They're all going to say this is this is untrue. So why not do counter-programming and try to suck away that audience? Plus, he has a strained relationship with Fox News now. So it's a real sort of stab in the back, um, which proves once again that Trump holds no loyalty to anyone but himself. I mean, Fox News helped him catapult his presidency, catapult him into the presidency and sustain him while in the presidency. But now if they just look sideways at all, uh, they're an enemy um, and they deserve, you know, retribution. It's, you know, it's it's a it's a very clear pattern 
of did. psychosis. That's <laughs> John. He, but Michael brings up a good question. Why are why are we listening to all of his attorneys on the circuits on the Sunday shows? Why are they there? What the hell? <laughs> I mean, this is a tough one because we do have to um, show some balance and and you know the both sides aspect of the news business. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm less, um, less disturbed that they're on, the lawyers are on as much as they are, so long as the hosts are doing an adequate job of pushing back and pointing wow. out, pointing out things like Michael just said, uh, and, you know, Michael and, and others, other experts have been out there, uh, shooting down these claims. So, you know, as long as it's it's presented that way and, and the people doing the interviews are, you know, taking that critical eye to it and then pushing back live on the air, um, it, it, it's a tough spot. We can't, you know, we can't just not have the other side on or the or or his his side represented. But but I, I hear everything that Michael says. I completely understand because, um, you know, they're they're pushing a false narrative. And, you know, that but it, it's always been difficult to cover Trump for this reason. Yeah, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy covering him every day as president. I think um, the reason why we do all this, though, is because it still garners ratings. He sucks up the oxygen. Oh, well, and it's yeah, like yeah. and it's it's like watching you can't it's like watching a train wreck. It's like going it, it like going to the demolition derby. You know, there's going to be murder, mayhem and destruction and you can't tear your eyes away from it. You got to watch it, even though you despise it. Yeah, or you know, WWE. I mean, you could compare it to that too. <laughs> you know, it's 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 kind of like it's watching more your... like cage fighting, probably. <laughs> yes. UFC, oh, uh, you yeah. want to bring up Elon Musk now, do you? <laughs> no, no, no. You know, what it, whatever it is, the UFC. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Trump's kind of like you know, it's kind of like watching your favorite team just fall apart for yeah. you know, four quarters or eight innings or something, but you can't look away. Right. Yeah, you, you know, just you, you you had to bring up the New York Yankees, did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've been haven't they been relegated to the International League? <laughs> they, they should be. They should along be with the Nationals. I was just looking at this. Is I'm uh, viewers can't see this, but this is the I'm holding up a screenshot of the latest CBS News YouGov poll released, I believe, today uh, of. All likely Republican primary voters. This was taken August 16th through 18th. Trump is in the 60s. It's now 62%. DeSantis, 16. He's under 20 and yet another poll. Uh, Ramaswamy's at seven. I don't think anybody thinks he's a serious candidate. Uh, Mike Pence. Mike Pence is surging. He's all the way up to 5%. So Trump. He's, getting, he's within the margin of error. Yeah, Trump is pulling away. From the field. I mean, he's lapping the field. And the headline on CBS News uh, Digital, they did a write up and um, it says exactly what we've been saying. It says, you know, Trump widens his lead as GOP voters dismiss charges. They just yeah. it just doesn't matter. But imagine if Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or, or Bill else. Clinton anyone had done else this. on the planet. Imagine what Fox. I mean, it. It would explode. The Fox building would just explode with with their angst and anger at at all of this. And if you if you spend some time watching uh, that particular cable network, it's a different it's a it's a completely different universe about 
as far as how they talk about it, how they describe the charges, how they talk about the prosecutors. And that's what these Republican voters, that's what they're, that's their diet. That's their news diet. Yeah. Michael, let me, I'm sorry, I hate to interrupt, but Michael, is there any chance that, you know, we've, we've, we've heard two judges now, I think admonished Trump. Um, Is there any chance that he'll be remanded or be called on the carpet for uh, doing, speaking what he's doing and, 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 you know, they've, argued that he shouldn't be poisoning you know the potential jury pool it'll go to case go to court quicker or will he any any repercussions for what's going on well we'll see what judge chutkin who is the one who's most likely to um sanction him does she has to be very careful because you know he is a, a candidate for political office and she doesn't want to as she said interfere with that but at the same time, she doesn't want to let that interfere with the court. So there's that double edge issue that she has to deal with. But if I think he continues to make threatening comments, that she will impose some sanction. I don't think it will be uh, remand that he'll be uh, found to be in violation of the terms of his release or in terms of the protective order and, and jailed. But <clears throat> she can tighten the, the terms of the protective order. Uh, like uh, was done by Amy Berman Jackson in the Roger Stone case, she could impose economic sanctions on him that if he persists each, you know, each time he persists, he'll be fined uh, for it. So, you know, she could probably do that, but it's, you know, not the simplest thing to, to do. And I don't think it'll ultimately, though she has the power to ultimately result in him being confined uh, uh, for home detention or uh, jail. I just don't think that that's probable, but I do think if he keeps it up, she will have to devise some sanction, you know, in which he'll use as, you know, he has used everything else as to raise money. they're trying to muzzle me. They're trying to muzzle me. Um, and it does bring to, you know, sort of greater clarity that, view that I and others hold, which is the reason he elected to run for president in the first instance, this time around, second instance, I guess, the third time, third. I don't know, yeah, is that if he weren't running for president, all of these, he would not have available to him all of these issues, that this is um, the weaponization of the defense of the Justice Department by the Biden administration in order to defeat his candidacy. He doesn't have all that. If he's just, you know, in Mar-a-Lago and Bettminster playing golf and um, not a candidate, then he can't argue this uh, weaponization stuff. And he's got then much less to say in the uh, political arena. And he's, you know, much more like an ordinary criminal defendant than he is a, you know, presidential candidate. So I, you know, cynically, I believe that's at the heart of why he decided to run. And now he seems to be relishing uh, attacking all of the attackers of him uh, rather than speaking about what he will you know, do as a policy matter uh, if elected, other than to say essentially that he'll pull out of Ukraine. That's the only thing that I've heard him say as a policy, as a policy matter. I and mean, what is his campaign slogan going to be? Uh, and you know, and and the weaponization of me. I mean, what what's the 
you know, normally you need a. Um, well, if there's uh, any indication, uh, there was an email that came out today. Let me see if I can pull it up here. He says, "Oh uh, yeah, I'm your savior. I'm the uh, I'm the only candidate who can save America." That's his new statement, and yeah. you know, so I think that's going to be his campaign slogan: "I'm the savior." Well, so I hope the I hope the evangelicals are willing to pivot from the Lord Jesus Christ to uh, <laughs> Emperor Donald Trump. Yeah, that's <laughs> what do you think, John? Is that his slogan? <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I missed that one. That might have gone to my spam folder. Uh, head tip to my spam folder filter. Um, let's see here. Uh, what was the, oh, the the slogan? Well, sorry, <laughs> Trump's make America well, that great reminds again. Me, I was again. Thinking, <laughs> sorry, I, I kind of drifted back to um, the the savior email. Reminds me of the time uh, on the uh, the South Lawn driveway. He was leaving. The chopper was was picking him up, and that's when he said he he was the chosen one. He told yeah. us, and he he looked toward the heavens and said, "I am the chosen one." It's sorry, I went back in time there. Uh, his slogan will be, you know, something like I'm the savior to stop the uh, Biden. You know, he called Biden a tyrant the other day. Yeah. Um, but it, his slogan's the same. It's make America great again. Again. Make America again. great yeah. again. again. Yeah. But but by doing what? By, by well, I've said, yeah, I've savior. said that here. I've said that here and elsewhere. He's not talking about what he's going to do to bring down the price of bread and gasoline i mean he criticizes biden for inflation and high gas prices but he doesn't say what he would do differently other no. than drill i mean he answered caitlin collins i believe it was caitlin on the cnn town hall or maybe it was one of the audience uh, members asked what you know what he would do to try to get at these gas prices and he said drill baby drill so you know other than that which is what my uh, dentist but says how, but how long would that take it's not like you can put a drill in the ground tomorrow and and have it over here at the Liberty gas station in Bethesda, you know, the next day. And that's going to take years. You got to get the permits. You got to do the, the environmental studies. You got to do all this stuff. You got to get through all the red tape before you can even begin building the rig. And it, it's a decade to do these new projects, maybe, or at least five years. So even those kinds of things, but his followers and, you know, the, the 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 question here is will that work with those independent voters that we talk about in this yeah six, I, I think it all boils down to that yeah but he, reach them. Know, yeah he's not talking about how he would get down you know the price of eggs or bread or anything else what he's saying is life. that if you elect me i'll bring it down and you're right he criticizes biden and if you get me if you elect me i'm the savior i'm the one i'll take care of it never says how he'll do it just says that he will do it. Right. So that, and that finally brings, finally, the last question about Donald Trump today, thank God. Uh, you know, he wants to push that trial off to April of, and it's no typo, <laughs> April of 2026. Hey, Michael, is that, is that going to work? You think Chuck can allow him to do that? In a word, no. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> Tell us what you really think. I, I I would be very surprised if he <laughs> pushes the trial date much beyond what the prosecutors have, have asked for. Which is? I think January, is it? Yep. January 2? Yeah. Um, and 
the notion that it'll be pushed that far into the future, I think, is you know delusional. But they have to make their you know best argument for delay because the the role of the defense attorney, not only in these cases but generally, because generally speaking, the facts don't support uh, innocence. Uh, the defense attorney's role is to delay final judgment because every day that the person is not finally adjudicated guilty is better than when they're post-conviction. Uh, and it always even, favors Even the, though the many of them are, are being held in jail pending trial, but yeah. in this case in particular, uh, they they want to put this off. Remember, if, if Trump, if what I said before, if my cynical view is the reason Trump decided to run for president this time around was because of the hope that running for president would uh, prevent these cases. Well, it hasn't prevented these cases. He's now, you know, just out there on the uh, Hastings yelling about this stuff. But as people have, you know, speculated that if were he to win or were another Republican to win, that they would pardon him uh, or if there was no conviction, they would shut down these investigations. And, you know, maybe they would, maybe they could. I'm not sure in a special counsel case how easy it is to shut down a special counsel investigation, but that's the that's the theory. And so if if you know hypothetically a Republican is elected president and they decide that it's in the best interest of the country, like Gerald Ford did with respect to Nixon, to put all this stuff behind us, then they probably could do that with respect to the two federal indictments. They have no authority to do that in the New York case or the Georgia case. Those will proceed. Um, he's trying to change the laws in Georgia. That's He's trying to get his legislators to change the laws in Georgia. Before we go to the break, I want to switch gears a bit and talk a little bit about, uh, I, I'm sorry, John, do you want to? Well, I was just trying to think ahead to uh, April 2026 and the second term of Trump. What are we doing then? We're um, Senate Majority Leader John Barrasso is is slowly <laughs> turn, he's turning through judicial nominations. Um, maybe uh, Trump and and uh, House Speaker Jim Jordan are trying to get together a budget reconciliation bill with with some tax cuts for corporations and and other things. And Trump is uh, Trump is on Truth Social every day, threatening war with Iran, and about to leave for uh, for an, another summit with Putin. As and, he dissolves NATO, right? Oh, he's he's pulled out of NATO. Yeah, he's already done that. He did yeah. that. He, that was his first executive order when he walked back into the Oval. Yeah. Or right. yeah, or when uh, they delivered him an executive order at a state penitentiary in Georgia. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still saying. He's going to end up at Mar-a-Lago West, which is going to be Alcatraz. Anyway, let's go to that. I like to I like to try to think ahead on all of this because <laughs> maybe I'm just preparing myself. I don't know. Yeah, for the worst case scenario or in Donald's case, as he would say at the best case scenario. But before we take a go to the break, there was actually some important work done by the current president this week. Uh, Joe Biden at, at appearing in uh, uh, Camp David announced 
some, uh, uh, I guess I'll let you unpack a little bit, John, but basically a deal with, you know, South Korea and Japan strengthening our defenses over there in response to China and North Korea. And those are, that's huge on the, on the, uh, on the uh, international scale. John, I'll let you unpack that a bit. Yeah. I, I pinched, pinch, pinch hit, I guess. Uh, anyway, I filled in for our white house reporter on Friday and I covered, I covered this and, uh, talked to some experts and 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 read a lot about about this and by the end of the day even before uh uh president biden came out with the leaders of japan and south korea at camp david for a press conference it just struck me about how big of a deal this is and richard haas the now the president emeritus of the council of foreign relations uh was on morning joe uh thursday morning and you know i i think this is right he called this a quiet victory for biden not the summit or what was announced uh, Friday afternoon, but his, just his China policy in general and, you know, how economically and even militarily, uh, as, as Haas described and others uh, described the same way, other uh, uh, foreign affairs analysts and, and China analysts, Biden is kind of surrounded China, uh, you know, nuclear submarines in, in Australia uh, more missile defense in in places like South Korea and other places. You know he's he's tried to pull Modi of India uh, more into the Western sphere. Uh, defense agreements across the region. This was not just about defense on Friday. There were a number of you know economic agreements, uh, more technology work, trying to get ahead of supply chain disruptions, uh, and a lot of things. You know, um, there's there's a lot in there about uh, economic coercion, and of course. You know, the Chinese basically invented economic coercion. And, you know, now you've got three huge economies in the region banding together. You know, the Aussies will come with. That's easy. Uh, so you've got four countries. India will play along to a certain extent. That's another huge economy. So and internally, President Xi of China, he's got big trouble with his own economy. So, you know, this Despite what Republicans and Trump say about Biden's been too weak on China, he's done a lot here um, to, as again, as hot Richard Haas said, to kind of surround China. And yeah. you know, it is a victory, but, you know, you can't talk too much about it because you don't want to piss off your banker who happens to have nuclear weapons. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'll, so that's I'll the conundrum for Biden. He can't really talk about it because then the Chinese will ramp up the economic coercion. Yes. And maybe, and oh, by the way, maybe invade Taiwan. Well, there was an excellent article in CQ uh, Roll Call this week oh. by a, a John T. Bennett. says, Biden Asian leaders pledge deeper ties and intentions with China and North Korea. One thing that Mr. Uh, Mr. Bennett points to there is that uh, we declare openly we are not united in a common purpose to strengthen our shared, uh, um, yeah, uh, our shared region. I mean, to me, that is... I've not heard that term used, nor the commitment right. uh, projected from these leaders in, in many a president. I, Obama didn't get this. Clinton never no. got this. Hell, even no. Reagan, who was, I, I mean, this to me is like world shattering. And of course, there, and, and here's my question for you. Yeah, all right, I get it that that Biden doesn't want to tout it as, because of, of politics, but you would think that somewhere along the line that someone in the Democratic Party would go, look, Ronald, you know, this is another case where Donald Trump is full of shit. We've actually strengthened our, our case and P 
people need to look at that. But I don't see them on the Fox shows. I don't see them on CNBC. I don't see them on CNN. Yeah. I don't see them anywhere talking about this. Yeah, I expected, you know, I expected more from Democratic um, lawmakers and senators. Even Friday afternoon, I expected more statements to come out. I expected, you know, at least tweet about it. And and you did. You're right. You didn't see a lot of that. I mean, Joe Biden has has pulled off the pivot to Asia. So during Trump, the 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 punchline was infrastructure week. Well, under Obama, it was the Asia pivot that Obama never, never got there. He never pulled it off. And Joe Biden, it looks like he's actually pulled it off. Now, the Republicans, big criticism is, well, this is all fine and good, but where's the Asia trade deal? So, you know, the guy, the guy can't, they'll find something uh, oh, to well, knock it find down. Something to bitch that has nothing to do with reality, but hey, what, what do I know? Uh, but remember, but remember you know, a lot of people have been asking that question about you, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I, I read the internet and they and I say, Hey, what does that Brian Karam know? Yeah, what the hell do I know? That's right, exactly. <laughs> I agree. What the hell do I know? I'm just sitting there asking questions. That's so anyway. I'll be just you a with... singer. In... Well, no, it's no, here we, we can bring I'm it on. Just music. a singer I'm... in a rock and roll band, exactly. Uh... <laughs> Oh, oh, hell yeah. We're there already. So I'll give you the last word before we take the uh, break, Michael. I mean, what do you think? We, we hear all this crap about about Trump and Biden, who's actually done something as president. We don't even not only and, and guys, it's not only that we don't hear the good. We don't hear we don't hear nothing. I mean, you don't even hear criticism unless Trump brings it out. It's 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 just he does it. And it like it lands in a place that. Well, it's it's the perfect storm where it can't be heard, seen, or felt. Yes, it's like the economy. There there are things that are happening that are good, but nobody is giving Biden credit for it. And maybe it's just the climate in which we live, or probably it's that plus really inept, anemic. Um, Public relations messaging. I don't get it. I mean, he should be every day out there touting the economic uh, recovery news. The problem he has, of course, is that, and we talked about this before, to my mind, there is still corporate price gouging that is not driven by economic necessity, but rather driven by greed. And so, while there is economic good news, if these corporations continue to price gouge and raise prices, the average you know, consumer still feels the pinch of the raised prices, and they blame that on Biden rather than where the, you know, the blame properly belongs. And that's a hard argument to make. He's not going to impose price controls, and right. I don't know how he can you know, leverage his, you know, standing as president to tell Procter and Gamble, or I pick them not because they're price gouging. I don't mean to imply that at all, but we'll take their name out of it. Corporation X, who is in in you know products and services, how he can convince them to stop doing it because they'll say, "Hey, look, we got a fiduciary duty to our um, stockholders, and that's what we're in the business of doing." 
And on that wonderful note, we're going to <laughs> go ahead, John. You had something well, to add? Yeah, it, the Trump criticism of Biden on the China policy, um, you know, it, how much water does it hold? Because remember, um, you know, Trump cut a mini trade deal with China. But Brian, you and I know that by the end of his term, even Trump was frustrated with the Chinese and, and yeah. has all but admitted they they just they just ignored the terms of the deal. They yeah. they just ignored it. Lighthide, Bob Lighthizer was the US trade representative and you know reportedly went to the Oval with a letter of recommendation and Trump said, put it back in your pocket, Bob. It's not your fault. Yeah. Uh, well, because it, it was the Chinese and even Trump was frustrated with the Chinese. So the criticism is, is as always with Trump, you know, there's more to the story. <laughs> and, and there is more to the story. So stick around. We're going to take a short break and we come back. We'll have, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me again discussing the events of the week, uh, John T. Bennett, the wonderful uh, editor-at-large from C uh, CQ Roll Call, and a wonderful uh, column, and I even referenced one of your pieces earlier this week, uh, in the earlier in the uh, show, and then Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, and um, we're talking a little bit, uh, I, I want to switch gears as always, uh, there are other things in the news that we, I think we've screwed up, and I'm, I guess I'm going to start with, I don't think we cover ourselves very well. And there was a, a series of articles this week and a series of actions taken this week against small publishers across the country. Michael, you and I talked about this and I'll let you unpack this a little bit. Um, there was a, a newspaper in Kansas that was raided by police. Uh, a police chief led a, a now a widely criticized raid of a newspaper in Marion, Kansas. And uh, they, in fact, the owner of the newspaper apparently died, at, you know, as as you know, as uh, ancillary to this, and um, it it highlights to me the problems that we have had for the last forty years with the consolidation of media, the loss of independent journalism, and small community newspapers are where um, most major national stories start. They start as small stories and they are picked up, and then there are common threads found, and without the community journalists around, uh, we're not just we're just not going to hear of these stories anymore. There's no longer in many places reporters covering city hall, or the, or county government, or state government, or even you know, God forbid, you know, uh, schools. So I, I, I'll let you unpack what happened, Michael, in uh, Kansas before we can before we carry on with the conversation. Well, it really looks like it was retribution. Um, by the uh, police officials for the true First Amendment 
activities of the local newspaper reporting on, uh, you know, essentially allegations of, of misconduct. And it just wasn't liked by the uh, legal authorities. And they obtained a search warrant um, to, I think, bogusly look for documents contained about some local restaurateur um, and how they found their way into the newspaper, saying that maybe there was evidence that the restaurant owner's privacy was violated in the process of gathering information. And so this was a result of, you know, the tensions between the local newspaper and the officials of Marion, which is a town about 2,000 miles uh, north of Wichita, Kansas. So 2,000 miles away? <laughs> Not 2,000. Um, it's a town of about 2,000. Yeah, okay. North, sorry, which is a town of, of about 2,000 people. Ah, yes, 2,000 okay. miles would be in the Arctic Circle. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Commas are essential, my friend. <laughs> you know, just so your audience knows, we're taping very early in the morning. It's almost <laughs> noon, you know. So I, haven't yet, I haven't yet woken up. But yes, a town of about 2,000 people north of Wichita. I don't know how many miles north of Wichita. You can have your your listening audience, you know, uh, respond to this on on uh, uh, Twitter or Facebook. But it's you know just one of very several recent cases uh, against local newspapers for reporting on uh, uh, corruption, and it's something that is at the very heart of our democracy. If the most local newspapers can't investigate corruption at that most local level, where it is most impactful of people's lives. And you less know? political. Yeah, and less political. The, the, you know, I'm, a, I'm an elected official in D.C., as you know. I'm an ANC commissioner. <laughs> yep. And I have to deal with issues at the most local level, a dead tree that could fall on your house, a pothole that could, you know. Right break a rim the development of the local uh, civic core whether that should be additional growth or or you know capitating um the growth so there's not uh, a space for additional uh, workforce housing all these things affect people truly in a way that national politics does not yeah so the press at this most level local level serves, I think, in some sense, in terms of preserving our democratic traditions, uh, the most important level. And you wrote about this, Brian, in your, yeah. in your book. And people can listen to your uh, my one-hour interview with you about that book on my podcast, That Said with Michael Zeldin. Uh, now, what was that again? Which one? What was yeah. <laughs> that Said with Michael Zeldin. <laughs> Wherever fine podcasts are sold. Right. Well, you know, you have to yeah, look. I don't were, mind you plugging look, it. Look, you you plug Bennett. Um, and, and you <laughs> I have no flat out, You just flat out ignored me because I always <laughs> knew that you loved him better than me. No. <laughs> you know, I know that. I know that. <laughs> oh, I love you. Stop. It's a little bit hurtful. I have to tell you, it's a little <laughs> bit hurtful. Well, this took us. This took an unexpected. <laughs> yeah. Damn it! I love you. Stop it, Michael. You know you're the only one for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, then how did that Mark Zaid get on the podcast? Yeah. Oh boy, here you go. I knew this would happen. I knew this would come out. 
<laughs> but I love you. <laughs> well, I'm, Just give me back my letter sweater and the ID bracelet. Which <laughs> is... Wow. Damn it, I get to keep the ring. All right. So, <laughs> the, uh, but anyway, so the, uh, seriously, seriously, this is a story of local corruption um, and the local uh, officials didn't like it. I think they yes. created a false pretense for obtaining a search warrant saying that they were looking for evidence of whether or not the 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 restaurant owner's privacy was violated. They've since admitted the the mistake in doing this, but it, the admission of the mistake is besides the point of the fact that they the intimidation did it. And they had the and they and they got the the sort of legal authority of they got a they got a warrant to um, do it. Yeah, to do and, it. I'd like to see the that evidence that was put forth to the court, uh, the veracity of that evidence that gave rise to that warrant. I think someone needs to be investigating the propriety of, of that. But that's what's going on here. It's happened in other jurisdictions, Wisconsin and others, that local media is is under attack and the problem is and you and i brian have talked about this the problem is that local news stations newspapers this was what was it called the record the marion county the marion county record yeah they are very ill-equipped to fight in court uh these types of things that don't have the the, money the the deep pocket uh to to do it and i think that that's why they're very vulnerable to these things because they lack the means to defend themselves unless you know some deep-pocketed person or some gofundme um thing is stood up to help them um and i'm i'm going to read this one paragraph and john i'll ask for your take on it as a as a reporter this is from the washington post right The August 11th police raid sparked outrage among First Amendment advocates and news organizations across the country. Officers seized computers, phones, and other records during the search, a virtually unprecedented event in recent American history. Myers' home, the owner, was also searched, as was the home of a city council member. The record said stress from the raid contributed to the sudden death the following day of Myers' 98-year-old mother, Joan, a co-owner of the newspaper. John. Yeah, this is just is really stunning stuff. Like, you know, it's right there in the Constitution. It's right there in the Constitution, right at the beginning. But you and I have you and I have have lived through downsizing for the last 40 years. You you, we've all experienced. Oh, yeah. And Mm -hmm. isn't this I mean, again, adds to the stress on newsrooms. How many newsrooms are going to be able a be able to press back and b how many of them are willing? You and I both know of corporate um, environments where the they would simply go along with the police in this. Yeah, I mean, local news especially, you know, doesn't need any further help falling completely away. And, you know, the, this unfortunate, uh, in, you know, case, you know, I don't I don't know enough about the ownership structure of the record, but you know they don't clearly have the money to 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 fight Small this family legally. owned paper right yeah. yeah so especially local media that uh, the ones that aren't owned by large corporations um you know they can't fight this stuff and they they'll just go under and local news outlets are already going under yes. that, without litigation 
Um, you know, it's it's a tough business model and it, it didn't adapt very well to the Internet, for instance. Um, we still haven't it, figured out the Internet. No, <laughs> we never will. We never will. Um, so, you know, this is this is just another another pressure point for especially local media. Uh, but corporations, you know, do, do if you're if you're a, a corporate entity that owns a news outlet that is targeted like this, um, you know, you've got shareholders and 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 all the rest, the usual business considerations. Do you really want to go through a big fight or or do you just get out of the news business? Yeah. And that's and see larger corporations, while they do have the where the money to do it, simply won't fight it. They they oftentimes go along with these type of things, and that's and, yeah. and they're and they're downsizing too. We could spend all day on that, folks, but we still got one more thing we got to uh, get to before uh, the end of the show, before uh, two letters too. But I want to go back to something that uh, Neil uh, uh, deGrasse Tyson had said. He calls it the decline of of science in the United States, and I want to point to the Arecibo Observatory. It shut down its science wing now. Two years ago, the damn thing collapsed. And we talk about China and we talk about um, uh, leading the world. China now has the largest radio telescope in the world uh, because hurricanes, earthquakes, budget cuts, pandemic shutdown, all of it contributed to the uh, Arecibo Observatory in, in Puerto Rico closing its doors on August 14th. It was the largest radio telescope in the world. Our uh, uh, devotion to science is far on the way. And when we talk about budget cuts, science, pure science is among the first things cut out of a budget. So it, at the end of the day, when we're all, when we're talking about the, the United States being the greatest nation on earth, you know, you go back to the newsroom and you go, what do we lead in? It certainly isn't science anymore. We put the first man on the moon, but we're not even dealing with that. We don't even deal with that type of science today. So uh, John, I'll let you, or I, actually, Michael, I'll let you unpack that. I mean, your thoughts. No, on I'll let, let John unpack that. He's been studying it carefully. <laughs> I set you up for that, John. Forgive me. Yeah, it's a setup. I feel like Trump. It's just a setup. It's a this whole podcast is a witch hunt. But 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 to all right to your point to you know we talking about we talk about our, our budget. We talk, we don't put money in science, do we? I mean, do we ever even have those arguments on Capitol Hill about science? Whenever we do, it's always about, you know, it's, it's a witch hunt. It's, you know, well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm sorry, John, I didn't mean to say it, but I, I can answer one part of the question, which is, it's so interesting that we don't invest um, in science like uh, astronomy and others that, that, are so so interesting. Look how long NASA fought uh, for for money. Yeah, um, but yet at the school curriculum level, all the resources are going to STEM. You know the science and math um, curricula um, at the expense of liberal arts, which is why people can't read and write um, very well anymore because they're not studying it in in school. So it's a really weird contrast that you invest all this money in STEM, and yet when it comes to the application of those sciences, we're we're not in we're not making the investment. You know, so go figure. How do, how does how do those two things align? Anyway, sorry, John. <laughs> no, 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 no. But to your point, I'm glad you went first. Uh, you know, last year Congress passed uh, bipartisan in both chambers 
a science and technology bill. It was largely aimed at trying to keep pace with China, um, which, you know, was was a pretty big deal. Uh, was, you know, it at least called for investments in science and technology. Um, but a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Uh, next to next year's spending bills, uh, at least in the House, the House Republicans have written bills that would actually cut the funding for the programs that were juiced up by the by the science and technology bill. Um, and now when that gets, you know, when when that gets conferenced with the Senate, which will be at, you know, higher levels, it's going to be lower. So to, to Michael's cut, you know, to Michael's point, on the one hand, um, Congress did pass something, but on the other, um, you know, the investment is not going to be there to the to the tune that is written uh, in in the China Technology Bill. There, it's it's going to have to come down to get through the House. There you go. Now, let, I, I, Scientific American tackled this earlier this week, and here's a, a graph: <clears throat> the observatory's main attraction, a 305 meter wide dish that was responsible for, among other things studying near-Earth asteroids, discovering exoplanets, near-Earth asteroids. Those are the ones that can hit the Earth, folks. We we lost a large window to be able to see when these things are approaching Earth by losing this, this particular telescope. It also discovered exoplanets, observed gravitational waves. It was destroyed in 2020 when some support cables snapped following years of delayed maintenance. In 2022, the uh, U.S. National Science Foundation, which runs the facility, announced it would not rebuild the dish. So we lost permanently the the eyes that would enable us to, or some of the eyes that would enable us to see if we were about to get whomped by a big rock from outer space. That's how, I mean, that's the only way I can drive it home for people, is that this was not, this wasn't some esoteric use of, of money. Part of the money that was used to keep Arecibo alive was to make sure our dumb asses didn't get killed by a big asteroid about ready to wampus. So yeah, and uh, we have we have a history of that because you know the dinosaurs were faced with the same thing. <laughs> they refused. They refused to make the investment, and now look, look what happened. happened to them. They're gone. They're gone. <laughs> they refused to look up. That's don't look up. Great TV show or a great movie. But that's I mean that's what's frustrating to me. The apple. I and again. I and maybe it's me and I'm a one trick pony on this, but I don't think we understand it in the media very well. And I don't think we communicate it very well, nor do I think anyone that's in that reality show called Congress has a freaking clue as to what the real problems are. John, you've seen some of the people in Congress. We've been in the scrums. <laughs> I, you, if you ask them anything about this, they would literally shit their pants. You just put it on a T. You just put it right here on a <laughs> yeah, T for me. I teed it up you know, for you. If, if you spend enough time walking the halls of uh, Capitol Hill, you, you'll think that some of the members are from outer space. <laughs> I just think it's a re I, I think they think it's a reality show. I don't think <laughs> they are very well educated. They, they play to their <laughs> audience. Do you mean science policy or being a member of Congress? Being a member That's of Congress. Show. They don't understand yeah. science policy. Members of Congress think it's a reality show. But I mean, they're experts in raising money. That's that's that's, that's it. what members of Congress have become and senators too. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Senate guy. I find the house uh difficult to cover, not well, I, I just it's like covering the room. 
It's, yeah. it's, it's but even a this, drunken romper room with yeah. a bunch of five-year-olds standing in front of a television set going, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah, and the, the Senate has gotten, you know, um, <laughs> advanced in age. The average uh, age of senators has gone way up. So they're, it's a different vibe over there. But even that, that's what they're good at. They're good at raising money. They're not good at, not all of them. There are some exceptions in both parties. You know, Christopher Murphy, um and, and Mitt Romney come to mind as two very thoughtful guys who care about policy. And, you know, you get the sense that, that they want to help people. Uh, but they're, they're exceptions on Capitol Hill. And you're right. It's a, it's a reality show. Usually uh, members anymore have to be wealthy. They have to, and they have to put some of their money into their own campaigns. So what you get is you get these very wealthy people who you know, they feel strongly about certain issues. Um, usually a lot of times it's, it's the, the culture war issues more than the kitchen table issues. Uh, so they go to Congress and that's what they pursue instead of, you know, the policies that are going to help the folks. And they can do that because they're rich and connected and then they can get more money to run next time. So it de-emphasizes the policy part of it. It's not as important anymore. Yeah, there you go. Well, on that thought, we're going to uh, end this week with a couple of questions. And I think they're going to, these letters are, I, I guess I want to get both of your reaction to it. The first one uh, from KBNC72. Why do you think Donald Trump is increasing his lead in the polls after four indictments? Michael. And will I it have, hold? I'm sorry. And will it hold? I have. Uh, no idea why someone being indicted multiple times would be attractive to uh, Republican voters, other than perhaps they think he's a victim and they've somehow come to believe that if they can do this to him, Trump, they can do that to them too. And of course, that's true. If any of them commit these types of crimes, prosecutors will come for them. This is not, you know, a matter of just being on the public speaking you know circuit like Eugene Debs or somebody in the in the 1919 period where he was jailed for speech um this is not being jailed for speech this is not coming for you like they are coming for him just for speaking his mind this is for actions that violate state and federal laws but perhaps they've just you know without you know deep dive into it have accepted that he is somehow that entity which stands between them and a repressive you know, government. A lot of these voters are very anti-government and they believe that Trump represents the pushback against government intervention in their lives. There's a lot of that in, in, in the Republican um, base that has been since time in the beginning government off our backs um, believers and, and, and Trump may just, you know, consistently resonate with them, notwithstanding the fact that he is not being prosecuted for uh, his ideas. He's being prosecuted for his actions, um, which so is what lasts. Do you think that the, the increase lasts? Well, I read this article. I just, I, I just sent it to both of you guys. Um, and I never know how to pronounce Dean's last name. Obadiah. 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 Oh, oh, I know Dean real well. Yeah. Ob he oh, has yeah. a piece. 
Here's a piece I just sent you saying, Obadella. is this a sugar high? Meaning that once you get out of this, you know, short bubble uh, and people start reflecting on what's going on here, does do the numbers start coming down? And I, I was on um, a podcast called Politicology um, last week with, uh, uh, it's just, it's just been um, put up with, um, um, You're plugging the, another podcast with Ron Steslo um, called Politicology, and 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 you know we we sort of were talking about these issues, and it it's just a mystery. It's just a mystery um, to us why, and to all of us on this call, why that is the case. But what I said there was, if you look at Watergate. If you look at Watergate, uh, while those stories were sort of academic, um, the Republican base was still behind Nixon. But when the evidence started being played during the uh, trials and during the uh, Senate hearings and the House hearings, when people started listening to witnesses, um, explaining the evidentiary basis for these cases, the tide turned. And so what I'm wondering is whether or not the most important of these four cases really is the Georgia case, because that's the case where television um, will yeah, be allowed in the courtroom. And there people will see, assuming the case goes in well for the prosecutors, they will see a parade of evidence uh, with mostly Republican witnesses saying, I felt that he was ordering me to commit a lie. Are you, you know, sure that this is the person you want? And yeah. we'll see if that if that if that changes things. John, I, I, I you know, to you, do you think uh, what, what do you think is behind this trend and do you think it continues? Yes, I think it continues. Um, you know, I'm the guy who I, I'm the guy who guaranteed that Trump will sweep uh, the primary, all 50 states, um, and I stand by that. I I don't think it's a sugar high. I think, I think it's a bit reflective of maybe people are starting to pay a little more attention, and you know, for all the reasons Michael perfectly described um, about how Republicans view government and Washington and. You know, they've turned Joe Biden into this monster almost. Um, and and now here's here's their standard bearer. Here's the guy who, even though uh, he, you know, lived in he lived in a penthouse in Manhattan, they think he speaks for, you know, the average American or the average Republican American, at least. Um, so I think it continues. And remember conservative their diet their news diet their information diet is is basically conservative media which is kind of an echo chamber a pro-trump echo chamber yeah, yeah absolutely fox, fox might have on the 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 random guest who um who's who's lightly critical of trump or, or carl rove and his whiteboard will you know does anger trump when he says things like you know, you know, Trump's not a shoe in to win a rematch with Biden or, you know, Biden's really strong in Wisconsin or, or what have you. And and that might anger Trump. But 
their programming is very they defend trump they you know they they question uh the prosecutor's motivations they they question biden is is biden actually behind it you know they don't sometimes they just say things like i just did and they leave it hanging out there so and it, then it becomes an echo chamber yeah. so I, I don't i don't you know where are they going to go where are republican voters going to go they're not they're le they're fleeing ron desantis you know, oh, like I said, uh, day old roadkill <laughs> and it's getting now it's two days old. Nobody wants you know, <laughs> some folks thought it would be, you know, Senator Chris Tim Christie. Scott or or Nikki Haley. But, you know, they're polling in the single digits. They're they're both lucky to be on the debate stage. See, I think night. it's I think you've hit on something there. I think it's that they don't have someone else. Right. That they would like where are they going to go? If right. there was another alternative that they could really legitimately uh, consider, they might leave him. But they've got no one else. And to your point, Michael, what you said earlier that I find absolutely point on, and John, you probably do too, growing up in the South. Yeah, these people are are anti-government and have been for a long time. And they just right. want someone to that they can hear that says the same thing. They're agreeing with them. By God, right. that's what it is. He's anti, he's an art, or as he's been called, an honest liar. And so people will give him the benefit of the doubt because at least he's telling the truth about the damn deep state. And that's what's going on. And by God, Donald Trump, he's the one that's telling me about it. And I'm going to love him forever. And I mean, just get that feeling. I, I just don't know how else how to explain it. I, I'm going to go with that into the, John, I'll let you take the first shot. Wait, hey, hey, um, can I yeah. just, um, since I'm the, the breaking news legal legal guy on this. Breaking we'll news talk, legal guy. Go breaking we'll news legal guy. It. We'll talk about it next week. And maybe you guys... Um, saw it already, but did you see that Mark Meadows um, told Jack Smith, this is the reporting uh, this morning, Jack Smith was told by Mark Meadows that he could not recall Trump ever ordering or even discussing declassifying broad sets of classified material before leaving the White House, nor was he aware of any standing order from Trump authorizing the automatic declassification of materials taken out of the Oval, Oval Office. Well, that so, means bend over, Donnie. I've just testified against you in a court of law. That's yeah. what it means to me. That's you? a big, that's, that's a, that's, yeah, huge. That's, that's a big deal. Trump's primary defense in Mar-a-Lago, or one of his defenses, even though it's really inapplicable for defense uh, documents, uh, he's been charged with carrying defense documents that don't necessarily require a classification marking but nonetheless despite that you know technical legal defense he is saying trump that i had a standing order and i declassified and all these things were declassified um before i left before i left uh and anything that left the office the oval office was immediately declassified per my order and Mar and mark meadows is saying as his chief of staff at the time that's bullshit. <laughs> He's calling I never, bullshit. That's I never, I never, I never. So Mark Meadows, we can talk about well, this Well, here's the question. But Mark Meadows remains, he remains one of the most puzzling characters in all of this stuff because he doesn't appear in any of the federal indictments. And the assumption, therefore, was that he was cooperating. Yes. And now he shows up, you know, in, in Fannie Willis's Georgia indictment what? as an indicted co-defendant but only two charges and the broadest charges if you read that's my question 
at the end of the day, do you think that he's going to negotiate his way into suspended sentences in Georgia for cooperation? I think it's incentive. It's the it's simply the well, most. But if he, basic but, he, but I guess that's right, Brian. But I guess my wonderment is, were he already cooperating with the feds on the essential same facts that he's been indicted for in Georgia? Wouldn't that uh, wouldn't he already have the same incentive to cooperate with Georgia as he had? Yes, I federally? agree. So but, I don't I don't get that. That's well, what I'm saying. What's the what's What's the, uh, I'm just thinking out of the box here. So John, Michael, tell me if I'm wrong. What if you're the prosecutor, the federal party going, look, you're helping us out here and I'll take care of you. There's nothing I can do about Georgia. Wink, wink. Georgia says, all right, we're, we're going to indict you, but here's the broadest thing possible. Listen, you come, you cop a plea, you'll be suspended sentence. No, no worries. I, uh, you know, I mean, maybe there's a deal that we don't know about between him and and Georgia. And part of getting him to talk was, look, we're not going to let you get away without being charged. Plead out. You don't get any, we'll, we'll agree that there's no time served, but you, you're, you're going, you know, this has got to happen. I mean, I could see that happening. Maybe, maybe there's a, you know, a, a, this is sort of a, a facade of his, of his being included in this indictment. I don't know. But anyway, the point is, and we can, we can learn more about it and people next will just stay tuned Stakes. next week for just ask the question uh, <laughs> to have this unpacked. What is that again? Just ask the question. So yeah, maybe, the last... maybe 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 we can get Mark Zaid to fill in for that Zeldin character. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, oh no, you're you're killing me, sweetie. I'm keeping the oh, ring. No. <laughs> well, I'll be I'll be traveling next Sunday, so we'll. No, see. you're not. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. That's. So anyway, uh, the last question asked, he's hurting my feelings. The last question asked, uh, and we'll start, John, do you, if you think Donald Trump should be involved in the debates, do you think Joe Biden should be debating his Democratic challengers? <laughs> what Democratic challengers? Um, <laughs> do, do I think, um, well, number one, I, is, I teed that one up for you too. Sorry. You did. Thank you. That was great. I appreciate it. Um, you're leaving them right at the rim. Easy, easy. <laughs> That's right. Just um, tip them in. It's August 2023. The election is in November of next year. Why are we having a debate Wednesday night? I, can someone? I know. I know Fox is going to benefit. I'm, I'm. It might not do gangbuster ratings, but it'll probably do better than whatever they have in the in the nine and 10 o'clock or at least rival it. So they're going to make some money off this thing. Um, and I understand, you know, the caucuses and primaries are going to get started um, early next year, but do we need a debate in August? Do, do we do? We? I, I don't know. Anyway, I don't, so your, been, your answer is why are we debating at all? That's yeah. Sorry, and do I think 78 uh, tactically, I agree with Michael that there's no reason right now for Trump to show up to one of these things. Uh, but you know, of course, he he should show up. He's running to be president of the United States again, um, and he should stand there and tell the people uh, what he would do if elected and, you know, offer critiques of the other candidates and why they should not be president of the United States. So, of course, he should. Uh, but tactically, you know, it certainly makes a lot of sense for him to not show up and to counter program it. And by the way, um, you know, my money is on 
Wednesday being Trump Day, he has to surrender himself in Atlanta uh, in in the the RICO charges there and other charges. So, you know, I'm expecting Wednesday for it to be I'm expecting Wednesday to be um, uh, all day coverage, including we'll we'll watch the plane sitting in West Palm. We'll watch the Secret Service drive him to the airport in West Palm or, or I'm sorry, in Bedminster. Sorry. We'll watch the, the same, you know, the New Jersey roads is the leafy uh, kind of rural roads as, as he makes his way to the airport uh, in New Jersey and flies to Atlanta. And then we'll have the plane landing at Hartsfield and then another motorcade uh, to the jailhouse in Atlanta. <laughs> and, and, you know, we'll, we'll do why? this. Why? Right, we'll do this all why? day. We'll why? have four, we'll have four panels We'll kick it around from panel to panel and reporters outside the the most famous stop for that traffic light, John. Right. That, that, that took the most the most famous barricades in the history of barricades outside the Atlanta courthouse. We'll see reporters talking about the indictments and the history, and then they'll drive him back to the airport. And and you know, it's at a certain point he'll he's taped he's already taped an interview with Tucker Carlson. His folks are trying to figure out where to release that. So we'll have. Trump goes to the jailhouse all day. Trump goes home, and then they'll drop this interview with with Carlson just before the the GOP debate starts at nine Eastern, and it'll just drown out the whole debate. And uh, Michael, I'll you think uh, Trump should be in the if you think that Donald Trump should be in the debates, do you think Joe Biden should? Well. The Republican rules are that in order to participate in the debate, you have to have a certain number of donors in a certain number of states and a certain percentage in in the polls. I don't know what the Democrat uh, rules are, but if there are rules and uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., is he Jr., um, qualifies for them or if there's any other Democrat who's um, qualified under the DNC rules, then they should abide by the rules. I don't think it's necessarily helpful for Biden. I don't think he's a great debater, um, but- Bob, you know, come you, on, man. <laughs> you set up rules, you set up rules, and you abide by those rules. Sort of like you have an election and there are rules about counting <laughs> votes. <laughs> Now, sort of abide by the rules, you know, <laughs> ask when the fourth quarter. You is, ask is an poison. awful lot out of our politicians, Michael. You know, Come on. When the fourth quarter is winding down and you're down by eight <laughs> points and there's no real way you're going to get there, you just can't. <laughs> the ref, can we have an extra quarter? Yes. <laughs> and really by the way, that way, does it, John? An extra quarter yeah. and the opposition has to stay on the sidelines. But that's right. We yeah, we went for two. We missed it, but we really got it. And it was a four point conversion. We won. Yeah. there you go. <laughs> and on that a, thought, it was a catch. <laughs> so, Brian, <laughs> what can a poor boy do? But to sing, sing in a rock, rock and, and roll band. That's it. <laughs> I'm just a street fighting man. That's <laughs> anyway. sleepy in sleepy London town. Yeah. <laughs> Great lyrics. A place for a rock and roll for a street fighting man. And and for those who don't know, look it up. But it's called this ancient band. It's this ancient band called the Rolling Stones. Great lyrics. 
And I think and that's the song right. is the song is Street Fighting Man. Yeah. So with that said, John, give us a plug, brother. Where can we find you? Uh, rollcall.com every Friday, the uh, weekly column, and uh, CQ.com for the newsletter CQ Afternoon Briefing. And Michael, the podcast is called, as I said earlier in the presentation, if people were paying attention, the podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin. It's a book. Not based. Mark Zaid, but Michael Zeldin. <laughs> exactly. It's a, and I, I have to tell you, I think Mark Zaid should replace me permanently. He's way oh, smarter. Hell he's no. Way smarter. He's way smarter than. No. Oh, hell no. Don't even go there. <laughs> we a, love Mark. A, no, we love Mark. But we love he's you, a, Michael. He's a, he's a great lawyer. He's a oh, great yeah. lawyer. He is um, and, and anyway, a good friend. Um, and a good friend of both of ours. Yeah. So anyway, the podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin. And uh, this is Just Ask the Question. The name of the book is Free the Press. You can catch me on, uh, where? Are, oh yeah, salon.com. And just remember, hey, I think the time is right. <laughs> well, what can a poor boy do but sing in a rock and roll band? So uh, thanks for joining us. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Caraman. We'll catch you next time.